I was listening to you guys greeting a moment ago, and I realized there's some friends of mine from Florida right here, but I realized it's probably taken us 10 years before we greet like you guys greet. Uh, you guys just have the community thing going, but uh, a lot of you helped pay for the building we've just moved into at Florida Road, and I first I want to say thank you. I want to say that building's filling up, and also it's created, I don't know how, we painted it virtually black, but it's created this friendliness, homely vibe that somehow you guys have that is so beautiful. And uh, now that we've got that one done, all the energy comes into making you get a new building. Now, this is, this is what I'm excited for here. Um, it's, it's time. Anyway, I, uh, can I tell a quick story that's got nothing to do with my preach, just because I'm, well, I'm going to. You, uh, on, on Friday, I opened a school in Amlazi, a private school in Amlazi. And uh, I've, got, I've developed a friendship with a guy by the name of Ntlantla, and, uh, and he said to me, Ross, won't you come out? We, we're opening our school. Um, and, and I thought, hmm, in Amlazi, uh, I know you're brave. I, I always travel with caution to Amlazi. I've got a Hilux. Um, it's been taken a couple of times. Anyway, so I decided I'm going to go out there. I, I took my video lady. I, I said, We're gonna, there's going to be a story at the end of this. She says to me, Russ, would you mind picking me up at my house? Because um, I'm scared of walking down Florida Road. I hadn't told her where we were going. I'm scared of walking down Florida Road with expensive camera equipment. I thought, oh, I'm going to leave this to the last minute. Anyway, I picked her up and said, get ready. We're going to Mlazi. Anyway, we get to Mlazi, and he's bought an Atala building. So it goes slum, 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 Atala building, kind of shacks, uh, just poor. And I drive in, and I don't know if you've ever, it was kind of like driving into a one down on St. Mary's. It was just gates were beautiful. All the manicuring was up. They, they have set up a private school in Amlazi, which specializes in app development, coding, and, uh, and robotics. Okay, yeah, it's happy. I, I said to him, can my kids come? He said, they'd be very white. But uh, anyway. <laughs> you ever find yourself in a, in a high stakes moment in life? I, uh, I was in Jeffrey's Bay for the holiday, and, um, and uh, my wife said to me, you're starting to look a, like a subspecies of human where you get your hair cut. So she literally escorted me into the hairdresser, and uh, I went in, and after a while, I got to sit down, and an Indian guy from India, because it matters if you're from Durban, is he from India or, or local, uh, he says to me, what, what would you like me to do? Anyway, I, I said, uh, just cut my hair, and he says, what do you want? And I said, just low admin, I like to wake up, put some water in, very occasionally use shampoo. I just want no admin, and he gave me this look of utter disdain. And, uh, and then he, st- he started chopping. Whilst he was chopping, I said, um, so where are you from? And he says, from India. And I said, why did you come here? And he told me that God sent him to cut my hair, which I thought was a good one-liner. Um, and had I not been at the hairdresser, I would have used it because it's a great opportunity to start preaching. It's to start a spiritual conversation. It was, it was right there, but I was at the hairdresser. You've got to understand, if you come from a farm like me, hairdressers and dentists are, are kind of scary experiences because they send you mixed messages. I don't, I don't know if you've found this, but on, on the one hand, you've got all the product, which looks beautiful. It's fairly intimidating to me, but it's, it looks beautiful and it's nice. And on the other hand, they have weapons that serial killers use. 
you, you think about it, it's, it's, you walk into a hairdresser and they've got lovely music and everybody's chatting, and then you move forward and someone is way too intimate with your head and they have a scalpel in their hand. It's just like, it's too many mixed messages for me, so I go in and um, he, he starts, he cuts my hair and he finishes cutting and he says, do you want to trim? So, so I say, no thanks, my wife says yes, and so he says, go over there to my cousin. So I move across to the cousin, who is one of those silent types. Now, if you went to boarding school, you know you don't mess with the silent ones. The loud ones, they're fine. The, the silent ones, you watch out for. Anyway, here's the guy who does the trim. So here's the guy with the, that thing. Uh, anyway, he's standing there, and, and he doesn't say a word. He just makes me sit. Then he puts the steamer thing that basically asphyxiates you. He, he puts it into my face, and, uh, and after, I don't know, it felt like half an hour, but after probably five minutes, he, he comes around again, doesn't say a word, and he, my heart rate's starting to go up. I'm, I'm kind of going into flight to fight, and uh, that's a bit of a problem. My, my leg's bouncing, and I can feel my veins are starting to stick out, and the reason it's a problem is because he's still got that cutthroat thing in his hand. Uh, anyway, he, he then starts rubbing my face, in roundabout ways, just like this, he's rubbing in circles, and I'm binding in Jesus' name and loosing, and I'm making sure nothing happens. Anyway, he keeps, he keeps going, and then um, after cutting stuff that I didn't know, hair grew there. Uh, it was actually a wake-up call for me, because I remember as a child looking up at an elderly gentleman who I figured had let himself go because there was so much nose hair coming out that I didn't know how he breathed. I realized this is the trajectory. I was on that trajectory, and this guy was going to help me know that I had hair in ears and all kinds of places that I didn't know about. So I kind of took it as a gift. Uh, but then I knew that there was a high-stakes moment. He took out what looked like fishing cable. And I knew he was going to strangle me, but I could get to that scalpel fast enough. And he started to perform Chinese torture all over my face. You ladies call it going to the spa, and you pay for it. <laughs> high stakes moments. There's a high stake moment in Scripture that I want to speak about. It's a, it's a principle that I'm going to dig out of the New Testament, and then we're going to go back to the Old Testament. We're doing this series that out of Exodus into the Promised Land called Giants Must Fall. And uh, this principle starts in Hebrews 3. It says this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Remember what it says. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. So there's, there's a concept. You can, you can get into a sin habit that begins to deceive you and hardens your heart. Here's the principle. But then it says, remember what it says today when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. So, so it starts with remember. So you've got to remember. And, and so you've got to ask, where did that happen before? I'm glad you asked. In, in Psalm 95 verse 8, is this quote that Paul's quoting. It says, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah. There was a moment in Israel's story where they hardened their hearts to such an extent that God 18 times references this story to go, don't do what these oaks did. 
This principle is a big deal for God. Again and again, it's mentioned and it's used. So I'm going to read the story and then talk us through the journey. In Numbers 20, it says this. In the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin and camped at Kadesh. While they were there, Miriam died and was buried. Miriam, the sister of Moses. There was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses and said, If only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die, along with all our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. If you have kids, this is what they do. This place is no fun. It's not anything. We, we hate it. That's, that's what's going on here. But I want you to understand when the story occurs so that you can understand the context. From the moment the plagues begin... So right in the beginning of Exodus, all the way through to when the spies, if you don't know the Bible, but I'll, I'll try and fill this in, all the way through to when the spies go out, look at the promised land, come back and go, it's too scary for us. And they'd spread what's called a bad report and tell everybody that it's too scary for them too. And they, they decide not to go into the inheritance. From that whole journey is two years. In two years, all the plagues, Red Sea opening, water from a rock, um, manna from heaven, cloud during the day, fire on a mountain. All of this happens in two years. It's like non-stop adventure. Then for 38 years, nothing happens. They get the cloud during the day. They get, they get the manna every day, but virtually nothing else. There's, there's one thing that happens. A guy by the name of Korah decides he's going to stage a coup. Moses goes and prays. The ground swallows him up. Just... Dropping. Other than that, nothing. Other than that, they spend their time in this beautiful place. Let me show you a picture of it. Absolutely stunning. Imagine camping in that for 40 years. Imagine, ladies, imagine giving birth in that. Now, no, if you come from like Ladysmith or Polokwane, it's quite beautiful. But for the rest of us... Imagine that. You want to play a game of cricket with your boy. You go like, Joshua, will you move those 5,000 rocks? Musa. Where's, where's a Musa? We need stumps. Will you stand here with your skinny jeans? Anyway, it's just, it's a mess. Imagine waking up every single day, and that's what you see. The reason this is such a big deal is because they come from the now. Let me show you a picture of the now. So that's the now today, but it was that much more lush back in the day. But then they wake up to this. Now, I don't know if you've thought about it much, but it doesn't matter if you're feeding me creme brulee every single day. After four days of that, like, it's enough. I want to move. You, you stuck in there for long enough, and somewhere down the line, the barrenness of your situation goes from outside to inside. I, I remember I, I worked in Newcastle. Anyone from Newcastle? Yeah. Good. Sorry. 
Newcastle isn't beautiful on the best day. Um, and in winter, it's just ugly. And uh, anyway, I was working there during winter, and uh, I would come back on, on weekends, and there was a moment that I'd get excited for. It was as I came into Hillcrest, it would be green. And then another moment, as I drove past the pavilion, I would see the sea. And it was like my soul was going, ah. Oh. I can understand how the Israelites went, I need Egypt back. Because looking at this every day, this has got into my soul. I, I need out of this. And here's what will happen. Because you're wired this way, if you're stuck in a situation and your eyes are fixed on that situation and all you can see is that, it will start to get inside of you. And when it gets inside of you, your hope for the promised land will begin to die and you will start to hope for some picture that you saw way before. You, you and I, we are wired so that in a place of hopelessness, we will go back to the clearest picture that looked beautiful. And the thing about that picture is that when you think back to it or forward to it or wherever it is that's not here, you will not remember it accurately. They will remember Egypt, but not slaves and whips. This is the thing about unbelief that's got into their heart. Their surrounding has got into their hearts. They've lost the promises of God. Sure, we've got the cloud, his direction by day. Yeah, sure, we've got this cover, this protection, that we've got direction, protection, we've got the provision from the manna. But really, if I'm going to die here, I'd rather take life into my own hands and go back. So you know what God does to people who are in this situation? And there might be a few people in this situation. He makes it worse. He takes them to a rock that has no water. They get to the rock. And now you've kind of got two or three days before people start dying. Now the crisis is in. But the power of unbelief is such that it will stop you from seeing reality. If you've ever had unbelief in your heart, what happens is you will literally see a miracle in front of you and you'll go, there must be a scientific reason for that. There must be a logical explanation. Unbelief has power. They are in the situation that they were in 38 years ago at exactly the same rock, and they're looking at it and they're going, we are going to die, we better leave. Because unbelief has taught them to not believe in God. It's flavored everything about how they're seeing life. And the scripture goes on. And it says, Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell face down on the ground. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, you and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community as the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff, and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. What I love about this story is a rock, there's, 
God couldn't have led them to a more impossible situation. A rock has, doesn't have the chemical composition to produce water. It's not like there's hydrogen and oxygen there and God goes, squeeze it, and out comes the water. It is literally impossible. If you're stuck in a place of unbelief, in fact, if you're a Christian, somewhere down the line, God is going to take you to a place where your environment cannot meet your needs. He takes them there. Any of you ever had... Um, heard the term or, or lived out the term God of the 11th hour. Yeah, you know, had that? And Cliff, you nod your heads. You don't put up your hands. Let, let's try again. You can do this. Anyone have that experience? Oh, yes. There we go. For those of you who didn't, I, I remember um, right when we'd started our church in, in Florida Road, we had kids' church in a tent outside that my wife used to run. And um, the fittest kids survived, the ones who, who could avoid the traffic and the heat. But uh, along the way, we decided we needed to put a kids' church facility up. So we, we built the steel and glass thing. But I remember the Friday when the guy said to me, you have to, you have to sign off on this, or else I'm not going to do it because I've got other jobs. So sign off and go ahead or, or don't. You need to tell me on Friday. And we didn't have any money to to do it. Well, we had a little bit, but not nearly enough even to pay the deposit. And I felt like God said, go for it. So I, I gave him the thumbs up. And then on Sunday, I asked for a lot of money. And, uh, and nothing really happened. A little bit came through, but, but nothing really happened. And then on Monday, first thing, just before I had to meet the contractor, a guy phones me and he says, I've got that thing covered. God of the 11th hour. It's cruel. You've got to ask the question, why does he do it? Why does God do that to us? Because in the 11th hour, in the crisis, what's in your heart comes to the surface. Where your hope is will come to the surface. You will either start going, let's go back to Egypt, or you'll go, God's got this. You, you will come to a space where God will help you to recognize what's in your heart. And at the 11th hour... God will reveal to you, despite whatever's in your heart, what's in his heart, which is water out of a rock. It's incredible how God will lead you there, especially in a space of unbelief, because he will show you, as the scripture says, that he is faithful even when you are faithless. It restores something inside of you. And God will, he will do this to you. He will bring you to a place where your environment cannot meet your needs where you need wisdom and all your mates are idiots, where you need a boyfriend and you're in Durban and there are no men. We know this. He'll bring you to a space where you need certain qualifications. The starting question is, what are your qualifications? And in all of these spaces, he will prove that he is the God who brings water out of rocks. You've got to know he still brings water out of rocks. I don't know how many of you have been following the Mungavin story. But it's gone so viral. It's given so many people faith. Kira, she should not have walked out of the hospital two days ago. She, she walked out. It's, it's a miracle. Last year, just before Christmas, a guy came to me and he said to me, Ross, the doctors are telling me all my internal organs are shutting down. I'm kind of, I'm, I came to church. I want prayer and then I'm going back to hospital. And so I prayed for him. And uh, he came to me in the beginning of the year, and he said, I went back to hospital, and the doctors can't tell me w what happened, but they said, I'm fine to go to work. He's still the God who produces water out of rocks. 
He, he's doing that. If, if you've got yourself to a place where you're going, I'm hitting crisis, it is the 11th hour, be very happy. Because he's the God who brings water out of rocks. Now we, we should have called this series, You're Coming Out. Because lots of people need to come out. I went to, um, to a braai the other day. And the conversation started, it was a lot of fun conversation. It, it started with, um, with the corruption that's going on at the moment. <clears throat> and after 15 minutes, which landed up being about 55 minutes in my head, um, I realized that, that someone had just probably stolen from my bank account because corruption was just everywhere. It had permeated everything. And then we moved from corruption to crime. And uh, by the time we'd finished that conversation... I knew I was going to die on the way home. And, and then we, we carried on talking about it, and then they started speaking about the rand and, uh, and how the rand's devaluing basically by the second. And, uh, and what's going to happen is that my kids are going to leave here to go to the promised land, Australia. And, uh, and, and what's going to happen is the rand is going to have devalued so much that I won't even be able to go and visit them in the, in the promised land. And, and uh, by the time I'd finished that conversation, I was really to commit suicide. No, I was, I was, I was on an all-time low. I don't know if any of you have had any of those conversations lately. Your barrenness inside begins to resemble what you're hearing on the outside. And God is not the God of a barren outside. He's the God of His presence being enough. I've been thinking about this story probably for about a month now. And uh, one of the texts about the story, it says, you cried to me in trouble and I saved you. I answered you out of the thundercloud and tested your faith when there was no water at Meribah. I don't know if you've thought much about testing. I I went fishing yesterday for the first time in about a year. And um, when I put the surf ski because obviously I go fishing in a surf ski and not a fishing ski that goes like this. Uh, and when I put it onto, onto my shoulder, it hit my ear and banged the car, and then there was blood coming out of my eye, so I don't know how that happened. But anyway, I got on, and I realized this was going to be a bit of a test. Uh, I got out somehow, and then uh, I put the, put the lure in, and, and off I paddled, because I live at DUC down there. And uh, I paddled out, and soon I hooked into a shad, and, and I wound it in. But because I hadn't expected that I would catch anything, and I wasn't taking it very seriously, I didn't really have a plan. And uh, a, a surf ski goes, it wobbles. And so anyway, I got this shad in, and I, I took it off. And, and then I thought, what do I do now? Because I don't have a gaff. I anyway, so I stabbed it with a pen knife, and, and then I, I put it in between my legs, which, as you can imagine, is a... It's a vulnerable place to be in. And uh, I put it down, and, uh, and then blood started coming out of the fish. And I thought to myself, okay, the best thing I can do is, is paddle as fast as I can far away. We'll, we'll dump the blood, and then we'll paddle until there's no more blood coming, and the shark will give up. That's what, that's what I was thinking, so I did that paddle, paddle, paddle. And halfway through the paddle, the fish decided to come alive again, and it started doing this. And so like a really responsible human, I just grabbed the fish and tossed it out. That was, that was my, my solution. Uh, I caught another fish. I threw it out straight away. I didn't even think about it. 
A test. What's the purpose of a test? The purpose of a test is to show that you've got what it takes to get to grade two. You can move now. The scripture says that 10 times the Israelites were tested, and every time they said, let's go back to Egypt. I was thinking about what's the difference between Moses, Joshua, Caleb, and the rest of the Israelites. Because every time those three got tested, they said, God's got this. And I realized what had happened is whilst everybody else was fantasizing about Egypt that wasn't really a reality because if they did go back there, they'd be killed. These guys had killed that fantasy. They'd put bullets in. There was no way they were going to Egypt. There was, there was no chance that they had left of stepping out of the direction and covering of God to go into grabbing things in their own hands. And here's the thing about where we're at in this country. Lots of people are grabbing things in their own hands. They've stepped out of the direction and protection and the provision of God, and they're going, I need to grab hold of my own life and control my own destiny. And, and this scripture is there to go, be like Moses. Moses went a bullet to any of my own plan. God, you have to get this, otherwise I'm dead. I don't know if you've ever heard that, that story of um, a grandchild who goes to his Indian grandfather. And he says, grandfather, I've got two wolves that live inside of me. One is all negative and full of hate, and it's selfish, and it, it just keeps taking. And the other is kind and benevolent, and it, it gives, and it shares, and it's full of hope. And he says, I don't know what to do. And the grandfather turns to him, and he says, starve the one and feed the other. South Africans, starve the one and feed the other. Because if you don't, you will land up in a barrenness of soul that really looks like that. So I have this meeting with Nklanta the other day. And, and the reason I'm having the meeting is because I'm trying to get a black business guy into Florida Road so that we can build deeper relationships with municipality. And uh, we've got Indian guys, don't want them. Got whiteies, don't want them. I want a black guy who's a good guy. So I've been hunting around and I've got quite a few contacts. And eventually, comes up. And uh, so I go over this meeting with him. And, and as we're talking, he explains his school to me. He also runs a church in Maritzburg in one of the poorest areas in Maritzburg that he funds out of his business. So when you hear that, you're kind of like, I am so pumped to meet with this guy. So we chat, chat, chat about all the things he's doing and, and these kids and the school he's building and some of his seaters and other businesses. And then we talk about Florida, and he says, tell me, what's the heart? Because you're a pastor. What's going on here? So I start talking, and, and I tell him the story of Florida Road and how we decided that we needed to improve this precinct because a lot of churches are more like parasites than givers of life. So I said we wanted to make a difference in our entire environment. And, uh, and so he, I'm watching him, and he's getting more and more excited. He stands up, sits down, he stands up again, and he goes, you've got to excuse me, but I just need to tell pastors this. This is too good. And anyway, he sits down again, he says, so tell me more. Tell me what you're dreaming of. And so I start talking, and I realize I haven't said this for ages. I start saying, I believe that we can plant 10 sites in Durban, and, and 
the effect of each of those sites is that they'll get into the environment and they'll begin to take care of areas and they'll make them into economic nodes that can begin to show the rest of the church exactly what difference we can make locally, never mind globally. We can make a difference locally. And, and I'm talking about Bible schools and I realize I'm talking about worship schools and things that I want to do and, and how we need to get property. And as I'm speaking, I'm realizing I am coming out of my wilderness. He's getting excited. My spirit's jumping up inside of me. And I'm not in positive thinking mode. I'm in opportunity mode. Now, here's the thing. If you are stuck in the barrenness and the crime and the corruption and that's where your heart and head are, guess what mode you're in? You're in negative, don't want to be around you, boring, no opportunity. You're in death mode. You start to feed the right wolf. And you just somehow manage to bump into other people who've been feeding the right wolf. And suddenly you start to realize we can do this. There are opportunities around that weren't here yesterday. There are things that can be done. There there are private schools in township areas. There's stuff that is possible if we just believe. Cliff, I love you, but you are renowned for looking at the facts gloomily. With love, I want to say, get out of it. It will kill you, and you'll stay in the wilderness. Grab hold of little bits of faith that you can get, and watch what Jesus does with your life. Watch what he does with this church. Watch what he does with giving you opportunities. Watch how he'll take this. We'll we'll start to move in a new cycle. Watch how opportunity comes your way, and you begin to see life differently because God did not make you to die in the wilderness. He made you for a promised land. Let's stand. I want to pray. I want to just say one last thing. I know I've been talking for a long time. Just when you go home, pastor's dream. I, I don't know that this is reality, but just a dream. Imagine you were to draw a line down the middle of a page and write down all the fantasies in your life, whatever those are, because there'll be more than another place. There'll be another life, another marriage, another career, another... There'll be a whole bunch of stuff. Just imagine writing those all down and then going, I'm going to put a bullet in these. And then start writing down just another page beginning to dream in God. My gut is next week when you come back, you'll be smiling. So Heavenly Father... I thank you that you give us dreams and visions, that you haven't stopped pouring your spirit onto man, that you haven't stopped giving doses of faith. And I pray, Jesus, that you come upon this community and you bring life in a barren land so that we can become a well that walk in our promised land. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.